Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we've got for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will look at a patch of rough air encountered by South Africa's Comair, while I look at the week of chaos in European air travel. I will recap on the latest between Qatar Airways and Airbus regarding the A350, and Joe will reflect on some of the ways aviation celebrated the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Finally, Tom will take a look at what to expect inside Condor's new Airbus A330neo. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I wanted to start just by like apologising to our listeners who love our news updates that we haven't had one for two weeks now. But we're back and we're <laughs> going to talk about our, our plane news. And I wanted to start by talking about Comair. So... Um, in case you don't know, Comair is a little 737 MAX um, airline in South Africa. Um, the I, I think the most notable thing about the brand or the airline is that they operate flights for British Airways um, in British Airways liveried aircraft um, under a franchise agreement, but obviously they're not British Airways. Um, they've also got this brand, uh, another brand called Kulula. Uh, I can never say that, Kalula. Kalula, I think that's Kalula. right, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, um, last week I woke up to a message from Joe saying, wake up, wake up, why why aren't you on this already? And uh, I was like, oh, oh, I've got to get out of bed. And um, the reason was because um, so the Comair has, well, it's, it's, it's not been plain sailing for Comair really at all recently. It was already in a business rescue um, situation um, before today. Um, on June the 1st, it re- um, turned out that the airline had cancelled, or even I think on May 31st in the evening, the airline cancelled all of its flights until further notice and also stopped selling tickets until further notice. Um, and this is because the business rescue practitioners um, said they were left with no other choice. And they're currently in the process of raising additional funds so that flights can restart. And they seem to be fairly confident that they will successfully secure these funds. Um but, you know, I was reading something today that suggested perhaps, you know, there's only weeks left for Comair. So um, it's, it's really one to watch. It's quite interesting as well, because this isn't the first time that Comair's flights have been suspended this year. Um, regulators grounded the airline's fleet for five days in March already. Commenting on the latest flight suspension, the airline's CEO, Glenn Osmerand, remarked that they deeply regret the inconvenience this suspension will cause for the customers and that they did everything they could to avoid it. Comair, the business rescue practitioners and the lenders are working all out to get the funding in place so we can resume our normal flight schedule as soon as possible. Comair is inherently a viable business. We have two of the best airline brands in the country. Um, So, I mean, what was due to operate? I did do some digging um, with our friends over at Sirium and it turned out on June 1st there were... 32 flights due to operate. Um, Johannesburg to Cape Town had six flights in either direction. Um, But it's interesting because all of the flights on the network only go between five airports uh, in South Africa. So it's all domestic and it's all between Cape Town, Durban, George Arpt and two Johannesburg airports. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, flights won't be resumed until sufficient funding has been secured. Um, I also did the maths on the entire month of June, and that equates to roughly 1,100 flights scheduled. Um, and that's all roughly around uh, 200,000 seats. So, wow. you know, not, op- not operating these flights means that Comair is going to end up refunding the passengers rather than taking more cash as ticket sales. Um, so it's it's not really a solution that you take unless you had no other choice. No, definitely. Um, 
Yeah, but um, you know, it's 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 um, it will be one to to watch this space. I think. Um, I think I, right now I can't really say which way it will go. Perhaps they do manage to receive this extra funding and they manage to turn things around. But you know, also if they don't get it, things could look quite bad. Um, mm. So yeah, watch this space and. Um, fingers crossed for Commer. Something that you and I should probably look into, Tom. Um, I did hear on the grapevine that actually the day before the flights folded, the airline ran a massive sale and sold loads of tickets for forward flights. Um, okay. This is literally grapevine gossip, so I haven't actually backed this up with any statistics. But yeah, it looks like they, they could have been a bit naughty in the way it actually ceased trading or hasn't officially ceased trading, but stopped flying at least. Um, um, yeah, I feel there was another airline that did that, but I don't want to name any names. In case um, we in get case. the wrong name and get sued, I yeah. know. <laughs> but, um, but no, no. I, I mean, I think if they if that is the case, they will have burnt a lot of bridges in terms of trust. Yeah. Um, so I don't. I, don't well, I mean, think be you saw back. how trust went out the door when P&O Ferries fired all its staff, and that that wasn't even that wasn't even affecting the customers. No, directly, that was just so. absolutely disgust at the way they treated yeah. their staff. But uh, the reason I was messaging Tom so early on um, Monday morning or Tuesday was it Tuesday morning Tom I think it was um, it was last week last week just... sometime <laughs> I was actually at a wonderful event in Iceland with um, a company called Doohop um, that um, are involved in interlining for airlines. Um, they're actually powering the EasyJet du- Deutsche Bahn. Don't tell me off for how I pronounce that, Tom. Um, code share where it you was can a lot actually... better than previous attempts. <laughs> I'm working on it where um, passengers can actually book their train tickets and plane tickets all in one place. So really interesting. And the reason I knew about it so early was because also at the event was the CEO of an airline called Lyft that operates in South Africa, who was supposed to be going on a lovely tour of the Golden Circle in Iceland that morning, but instead was running around on his mobile phone trying to arrange rescue flights for all these stranded passengers. But I wanted to give a shout out because we have some fans, Tom, did you know, um, not in Europe or America, but in South America. Um, and they come from a lovely airline called Avianca. Um, so hello, Julio and all the other guys that I met in Iceland. It's wonderful to know we're being listened to on the other side of the world. And thank you for following our nonsense. Um, um, but for my first feature today, I want to jump back to Europe. Um, sorry, Avianca, we will talk about you next time. Um, because it should have I'll been... I'll hold you to that. <laughs> it should have been a week to remember last week. Um, it was half-term holiday from school. There were extra bank holidays for people in the UK because of the Queen's Jubilee. Um, Germany had bank holidays because we have bank holidays every year on those days. <laughs> yeah, there was lots of reason to travel. And of course, with all travel restrictions lifted, this should have been a cracking week for airlines and airports hmm. alike. But it didn't quite work out like that. Um, in fact, right across Europe, there were issues with cancellations, flight delays, um, just problems all across Europe. And having travelled out to Iceland that week, I absolutely saw firsthand how difficult things are. And I must say, you know, everybody blames the airlines, but I was travelling from London Heathrow and it was definitely an issue with security there. Um, hmm. You know, obviously it's not the same in every single country and every single airport, but our security queue in Terminal 2 was like right around the arrivals hall, snaking up and down um, and then coming back um, from Iceland on the Wednesday. 
again to get through passport control there was a big long snaking queue I felt like I was in the line for Rita Queen of Speed at, at Alton Towers or something but it wasn't that, even that exciting it was just for an e-gate um, but it has there's been some really kind of crazy stuff going on one of the first I wanted to mention was that late on Saturday uh, Dutch airline KLM announced it would no longer allow passengers at European destinations to board any more flights to Amsterdam so I've right, got a funny story about that one Oh, go on then, um, tell me. Because I was plane spotting at Frankfurt and it was going disastrously because the sun was in the wrong place and the place <laughs> were using the wrong one, runway. But I did see a KLM um, City Hopper Embraer take off and I noticed on flight radar that it took a, an intersection quite far down the runway and it took off and it took off like a rocket. You know, like I, I know that E-190s, E-175s take off quite quickly anyway, mm. but this thing really shot into the sky and I was like, oh, that must be quite empty. It was completely um, empty. <laughs> <laughs> and I read these stories when I got back and I was like, wow, it was it was completely empty. Yeah, that would explain it. Mm. So, yeah, KLM, as Tom said, they made a very odd decision to fly their aircraft back to Amsterdam completely empty. Um, and they left hundreds, if not thousands, of passengers stranded. Um, the airline said that it had faced unforeseen and urgent, cir urgent circumstances that are beyond its control. It was blaming unfavourable weather conditions and runway maintenance at Amsterdam um, for the reason it was leaving its passengers stranded. But, I mean, how crazy. Um, mm. You know, I don't know whether it, the weather was particularly bad or it was to do with the runway, but, you know, the congestion at the airports is just insane at the moment. Um, I... I miss um, the security lines of May 2020 when I was travelling. And was I think we almost nobody. got used to it, didn't we? The, the kind there was of nobody. travel downturn. I mean, this is the opposite mm. end of the scale in so many ways. But it just Although, proves you can't turn an industry off and yeah. then instantly back on again and expect it just to kind of go back to where it was. It takes a lot of time to train people to work in airports and, you know, all the clearances they need and everything. And that's not even going into the, the pilots and the, the flight attendants that need to be mm. trained and recruited. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one because, you know, we have a lot of these airlines having issues, but when you look at someone like Ryanair, um, they're pretty much operating what they said they were going to operate. And, um, you know, like I, was, I wasn't going to talk about this today, but I'll just mention it briefly, you know. Ryanair in May, it didn't just break its like post-pandemic traffic record, it broke its all-time monthly traffic record. Oh my so, goodness. You know, it's it's a showing that yes, you're right. People are wanting to travel, but it's also showing that um, you know it is it is possible to do it. Uh, it just seems to be difficult because Ryanair has somehow managed it. Yeah, well, I I would say the secondary airport situation mm. probably helps Ryanair a little bit because it does seem that the main chaos is focused on the primary airports. Um, mm. Although I know the, the secondaries have been struggling as well. Um, but good on Ryanair. Um, yeah. For us in the UK, it wasn't great. Um, we had an extended bank holiday in celebration of the Platinum Jubilee. Um, but there were so many cancellations and delays. Hundreds, um, thousands, in fact, of people were left stranded in their holiday destinations, unable to get back to the UK. Um, mm. I think I read that people weren't able to come back to school or so, or teachers were <laughs> exactly. stranded and all that. Yeah, exactly. And for British teenagers, um, you know, I'm I'm in the throes of GCSE exams, like 16-year-old exams with my son right now. And I can't imagine the amount of stress he'd be under if we were stuck in Spain and not able to get back to, to school in time for one of his exams this week. But this is exactly the partying. situation that was facing many families yesterday, on uh, Monday this week. Mm. 
Um, and in fact, Paul Charles from the PC agency calculated that at least 15,000 passengers had been affected by last minute cancellations, changes, delays, and that it was going to take at least three days to clear the backlog of people trying to get back to the UK. Um, so, you know, it was like I was mentioning, it was mainly the big city airports that were suffering the, the worst. Um, so on Sunday, June the 5th, London Gatwick had 30 arrivals cancellations, so around 6% of its total, and 39% were delayed. That's a huge number. Um, London City, a much smaller airport, saw 5% of its inbound flights cancelled and 29% delayed. Um, Luton managed a bit better. They only had 3% cancellations, but still a quarter of the flights were delayed. Um, for the littler airports, Bristol Airport is my local kind of secondary airport, if you like, um, and a major hub for EasyJet. 43% um, of inbound flights were arriving off schedule and 8% were cancelled. Um, and Edinburgh, too, had a really bad Saturday with 42% delayed and 3% cancelled. Um, Manchester did quite well in terms of cancellations. Less than 1% were cancelled entirely, uh, but there were 111 delayed inbound flights. Um, so, yeah, tough times. And I think if I had to pick an airline that suffered the worst, it was EasyJet. Um, they had almost 900 flights delayed to some extent. That's nearly 50% of the total flights it had over the weekend. Um, and 119 flights were cancelled completely. I mean, you know, if you extrapolate that up into like the, the 180 people who would have been on board each one of those flights, that's an awful lot of people that were left stranded. Um, the situation was further compounded because the Eurostar went wonky. Um, so some people were paying, you know, lots of money out of pocket for last minute tickets on the Eurostar. But there was a problem with overhead power supply near Paris that ended up with Eurostar saying, do not travel unless it's essential, you know, postpone your journey, even if you've got a ticket. So it was like, you know, stay in Europe. <laughs> you can't come yeah. home. Um, well, you know. I must say, I took the night bus to Paris and back and that went swimmingly. <laughs> There's always a night bus angle, Tom. <laughs> mm. No, I was actually going to say the A380 angle here would be, where is Highfly's A380 when you need it? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, stop in the Costa del Sol and then bring them all back to, uh, to Stansted or something. That would be awesome. Well, they did that when Thomas Cook collapsed. They did. They did. They did a great thing. Unfortunately, no air well, fortunately, I should say, no airlines have collapsed. But I think, you know, the message right now is leave so much time for your travel. You're going to need longer than you think. Um, and I think really UK airlines in particular need to start pulling a bit of capacity down if they're not able to handle this sort of demand, because we just don't yeah, want yeah. more chaos this summer and for it to really stunt people's appetite for travel. Not this year, please. Mm. <laughs> I'm just going to wrap up quickly because I think we've been talking about this for 10 minutes now and I wonder if anyone's still listening but I did notice that um, Grant Shapps who's the transport minister um, said that airlines shouldn't be selling tickets that for flights they don't think they can operate yeah absolutely he said um he told the BBC on Monday, the industry needs to solve it. The government doesn't run airports. It doesn't run airlines. The industry needs to do that. Well, thanks very much. Mm. <laughs> We're well I aware. Saw, I saw some rather colourful comments from Willie Walsh yesterday about Boris, but uh, I think we'll leave them off the podcast. Oh, share those with me later, please. Yeah. <laughs> Well, staying in the UK, I wanted to talk about Qatar Airways and the A380 case. And this story is maybe a little bit old now, but I thought it was really important that we mentioned it on the podcast. Because um, obviously, I think it was about two weeks ago now, the High Court finally ruled on the initial ruling. So it's just it's a long going thing. Um, but there was like an initial trial where I've, the idea was that they would see whether they'd go to a full trial and when. Um, so... 
the justice who was ruling in the case has decided they're going to have an expedited trial. And mm. uh, I love that expedited means next summer. So you can only imagine how long it would <laughs> take for trial. a slow trial <laughs> that's not in the public interest. Um, but, you know, the thing that I found most interesting was the two parties' takes on the ruling because Qatar Airways, um, they published a statement saying they were like basically really pleased with the ruling and it showed exactly what they were trying to say. Um, they said it, 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 it um, shows that the remedy that um, Airbus offers deals only with the symptoms of the condition and not the condition itself. And um, they said, we've long been arguing that there is more to this art issue than just paint and the remedies proposed by Airbus do not deal with the fundamental issues affecting the A350. We're very pleased that this view has now been understood and accepted by the court. Um, so there was a lot of positive positivity, but it was it was very much focused on the specific paintwork issue of the planes. And there was uh, obviously a lot more to this case than just that. So, you know, I also reached out to Airbus um, to see what they thought about it. And um, they called what uh, Qatar's statement a complete miscarri- mis- mischaracterization of the UK High Court ruling. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so you can see they're still like, they're still not besties. Um, but you know, the European plane maker pointed out that Qatar Airways had lost its injunctions against um, Airbus A321neo and A350 orders as part of the ruling. So basically, Qatar Airways had wanted um, to stop Airbus um, demanding that it pays for A350s when they're finished and takes delivery of them, and um, but also not send those A350s to any other customer. And the same with the A321s, not allocate the orders to any other customer. But uh, the judge ruled that they can do that. Um, The thing that I found most interesting from Airbus's point of view was that they said a simple barometer of what actually happened was that Qatar Airways was ordered to pay 97% of Airbus's legal costs. Oof. Um, (laughs) So it's it's interesting because it seems like both are a bit of a winner and both are a bit of a loser because it it seems like Airbus has lost, um, initially at least, obviously there's this full case to go, but in the initialness, uh, Airbus has lost the paint bit, but they've won the orders bits Mm. and... um, Qatar has um, lost the orders bit, but won the paints bit. But and they'll both spin it to make it sound like they actually yeah, exactly. won anyway. So <laughs> yeah, getting getting the full picture is um, a bit difficult. That's why I was like uh, very keen to hear from both sides because everyone has a different story to tell. And you know, like <laughs> even so, um, who knows what. Um, where we are is quite interesting because on the the post itself, I did put a uh, a poll on who are you siding with in the Airbus versus Qatar Airways A350 paint feud, um, and 1,700 of our readers reacted to that. 64% said they side with Airbus, and 36% oh. said they side with Qatar Airways. Gosh, that's quite evenly split. I mean, slightly in uh, favour of Airbus, but it's not, about, it's um, not clean two cut, thirds, is one it? third. Mm. It's about two thirds, one third. I'd say it's. It, I would say it's definitely in favour of Airbus, but, um, you know, it's not like an outstanding... um, No, it's not like 90% in favour or something. No, it's very interesting. I'm loving the addition of polls on the site. I might try and use one myself if I uh, find (laughs) something to ask a question about. Mm. Um, So I must apologise. We are still in the UK for my next topic on the podcast. I will leave the UK for my last one, I promise. (laughs) Um, because it's it's been a big week for us. Our lovely queen celebrated 70 years on the throne. In fact, she's the first monarch ever to sit on the throne for that long. Um, you think her, mean, bum, her bum would be sore by now, wouldn't you? I was just going to say that. <laughs> you beat me to the joke. <laughs> 
we're so obvious. Um, so as part of the celebrations, there was a spectacular fly pass by over 70 aircraft, which was enjoyed by millions of people in London and was also, I think it was on the telly as well. Um, I was on, on a vintage bus drinking beer at the time, so I missed it, unfortunately. But I understand. No, I watched it on Sky News. It was very awesome. Um, and there were all sorts of planes involved in this flyover, including the newest military jets like the F-35, as well as historic Spitfires and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, the royal family watched the flyover as well. And uh, if you can, do have a look at some of the images of little Prince Louis putting his hands over his ears because he doesn't like the sound of the jets. He's so cute. Um, but, you know, it was an impressive show. But have you ever wondered how much planning goes into making an event like this happen, particularly somewhere like London, which has several very busy commercial airports around it? Um, well, I've never wondered that, but I feel you're about to tell me. I am, <laughs> whether you like it or not, Tom. Um, so, uh, the I can't UK's, even mute you. <laughs> the, the UK's National Air Traffic Service, um, Nats, who we had on the podcast a few weeks ago. Oh, yes, we did. We did. Um, I think it was a few months ago now, not weeks. Goodness, time does fly when you're having mm. fun. Um, so they had to establish where the aircraft would be and at exactly what time so that they could put in place some temporary operating procedures, which um, basically informs controllers uh, to keep civil aircraft at a safe distance but you know still kind of allows the airports to minimize disruption because honestly the last thing Heathrow needed last weekend was any more disruption um, so uh, the Royal Air Force also requested that the UK Civil Avi Aviation Authority put restrictions to prevent aircraft from flying into certain airspace without prior permission so obviously safety is paramount here you know you can't be having jets scooting past um, big airbuses full of people that are coming into London. Um, the flypass did go through some very busy airspace. So it was both London Heathrow and London City Airport hmm. that were affected and both had to pause air traffic movements I for mean, a few minutes. Some of it went right over Heathrow at about a thousand feet or so. so yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, I think at least <laughs> around a third of the aircraft flew right over Heathrow. Um, this was part of their dispersal route. Um, so they started in the North Sea and they kind of gathered together there and got into formation and then they flew southeast towards central London. Um, they came over Buckingham Palace at a height of around 1,000 feet um, to about 1,400 feet. Um, and London terminal controllers were were kind of shadowed by military operators for the coordination purposes. So it was quite a big deal. It was very, um, very well planned out. Lots, many weeks of planning went into it. Um, and as soon as the fly past finished, the controllers restarted normal operations again. I'm reliably informed that the stacks that we all know at Heathrow, where you kind of circle in the air for ages waiting to land, all of those were just held in place. Um, and it was only a few minutes that the disruption took place. So, um, yeah, it was pretty cool, actually, to kind of read into it and see what had been happening. Um, and I mentioned the um, F-35 and the Spitfires, but there were also, of course, the Red Arrows, which is our um, RAF uh, kind of, uh, what do you call it, coordinated dancing airplane team aerobatic team that's the one <laughs> and there was a lancaster bomber there was there were hurricanes typhoons it was awesome you're not talking about any of the stuff i was interested yet <laughs> what were you there interested was, in tom there was the a330 the military a330 with the oh, uk yes, livery and there was the a400m yeah yeah there was no concord though which um, i think the last there's not been a concord for 
20 years. I though. know, but there was a, a, the, one of the other flypasts, there was a Concorde and a 747 as well. Um, mm. So, yeah, not, not the very much. could have the A380 in there. They could have, and they, or something new like the A350 would have been cool as well. <laughs> A380. <laughs> If you're listening, British Airways. <laughs> well, actually, British Airways did share some of its favourite memories of transporting the Queen throughout her 70 years on the throne. Um, so back in 1952, when she was just 25 years old, she left London Heathrow with BOAC, um, which is British Airways' B-O-A-C. predecessor. Yeah. BOAC. Um, and they were going on a 30,000-mile tour of Australia via Kenya. But when she flew back to Heathrow on February the 7th, she was Her Majesty because her father had passed while she was away um so that was kind of her she, she went away a princess and she came back a queen and i thought that was but lovely wouldn't she have become queen properly once she'd already got back to london tom or? you do love splitting hairs seriously can I you do. not just get into the emotion of the journey <laughs> <laughs> uh, so she also toured canada um on boax de havilland comet four um for her silver jubilee which was back in 1977 she flew on the concord from barbados to london heathrow um in just three hours and 42 minutes and actually she flew on concord loads of times through the 80s and 90s lucky her um her last journey was in 2003, shortly before the jet was retired. Um, And in 2011, British Airways set a record for its longest non-stop ever flight, transporting the Queen between Perth and London on a 777-200ER, a flight that took 20 hours. Um, So the original Project Sunrise, if you like, not quite as far, though. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Qantas still did it with their 747 to Heathrow to Sydney, so... They did, yeah. And this was was rather one of her last kind of long-haul journeys before she really stepped back from international travel. Um, So other ways that aviation has celebrated the Queen... Um, London City Airport has adopted a new logo. I had to peer at it for several minutes before I noticed the change, but there is now a Queen's head in the middle of the O of Lon, Lon, Don, I think, or somewhere. There's a Queen's head on it anyway. Um, Virgin Atlantic had a lovely time handing out chocolate lollies and giving out English sparkling wine as part of their high tea. Um, I couldn't really find any other examples. I think it's a very British thing. But, um, you know, if you were celebrating wherever you are, I hope you had a lovely time. As I say, I was riding around on some vintage buses, um, drinking beers in Cornish pubs, which was awesome. What did you do, Tom? (laughs) I was working because somebody has to bring... aviation news to the world. (laughs) I'm sorry, but you are a a German citizen these days. No, I'm not a citizen. I'm a resident. There's a very clear distinction there. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Yeah, but speaking of Germany, um, (laughs) I wanted to talk about Condor's new A330neo interior. So they've, you know, their A380s, uh, A330s, I can't say A3 without an 8 now. Uh, It's terrible. Um, They're a I know, their A330neos are coming later this year with the wonderful beach towel livery, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm falling for it slowly. Um, okay. You know, it's, it, I think it's because I just see it everywhere I look in Frankfurt now. <laughs> uh, you know, like on the staircase, they've got some sort of um, advert printed on the side bits of the stairs and they've got like one stripe on each step. So it works <laughs> quite well. Excellent. Um, but anyway, you know, they've got, um, they're going to really... It's it's interesting because 
the the color scheme of the the business class cabin you know i saw the picture uh, without knowing what i was looking at and i initially thought it was a lufthansa business class cabin oh. um but actually no it's um it's the condor business class cabin it's going to have um one to one seating so everyone gets an aisle um and there's 30 seats that are going to convert into 2 meter long lie flat beds um each passenger has a screen that's 1.73 inches 4k resolution um, the thing that I think you're going to find most interesting, Joe, is that they are joining the let's use our Bluetooth headsets on a plane um, movement. Because <laughs> yeah. I know you're you're I, so in love with that idea. Yeah, it's one of my um, little campaigns as a frequent flyer from years back. You know, if you're going to have Bluetooth pairing, why not let the passengers Bluetooth their own headsets and not yeah. not the airline supplied ones? We all spend so much on our headphones. Let us use them. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like everyone's getting on board with it now, which is great. Well, anyway, I thought it's interesting because the seats are kind of staggered. So um, to put that... Um, into perspective, you know, if you're looking at the window, the the uh, row of window seats, um, one is going to be right next to the window with the little table area on your left, and the other is going to be right next to the aisle with the little table area on the right. Um, so that also means you get somebody else's feet next to your head when you're sleeping, but thankfully they're separated. <laughs> yes, there's a good wall between you. <laughs> um, I did also want to talk about the sort of premium economy cabin. Um, because Condor says this is a free cabin aircraft, um, I would argue that it's a two cabin aircraft with um, a differential of service in one of the cabins. But um, now Condor is saying it's got premium economy and economy cabins. Um, it's got the same seats in premium economy and economy, and they're both eight abreast in a 242 layout. So All right. there's no difference really to what you're sitting on. The, only, the main difference comes from um, you know, you've got slightly more legroom in premium economy and your seat tips back slightly further, but you've got the same seats, the same touchscreen mm. um, entertainment system. Do you get um, different food and bev or not? Yeah, so I, I would imagine, I don't know for certain, but I would imagine the soft product is different. But in terms of the hard product, you know, I, I think it's a bit, um, it, you can't really call it a premium economy cabin, in my opinion. You know, there's nothing solidly differentiating it I, I think rather you should call it an extra leg space cabin but that's yeah, my yeah my um my little bugbear but you know like if they want to call it that they can call it that it's not my me, my decision to say what they can call their cabins no, it's funny <laughs> um, how a premium economy can range from you know everything from a completely separate cabin with a brand new yeah. seat and everything's completely different you get better food to just yeah like you say something that's a bit more leg room that i don't yeah. think is really there's no divider between the two either so right um, it's interesting, though, because we got a little bit more color, I think, on um, the first A330 deliveries. So the first one is due this autumn, which is not hugely helpful, but um, they're going to take around one a month, they said. Um, and they said they're not actually going to take the first transatlantic flights until winter. So that would make you think that perhaps the A330neo is going to debut on some of the shorter um, hops around Europe. I mean, that's quite often what we see when, you know, like when BA introduced their A350, it started mm -hmm. by going to Madrid rather than to, uh, I don't know, Mumbai. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's quite an interesting one. You know, I think in general, I love the business class cabin and I love the economy cabin. And, you know, I think it was it's a great product in general. I just, I'm not super on board with calling premium economy, premium economy. <laughs> no, not if it's just a seat, a bit of yeah. leg room anyway. Yeah. And somebody I was chatting to did make the argument, well, 
business class in with on like European flights these days is just the same seat um as economy but at least then you have the middle seat blocked out so yeah yeah um, whereas here you know you've just got all the people in all the seats not real business class anyway i think you only get proper business class if you're going on a wide body um, or a long haul narrow body of course but uh, that's just my opinion Mm. (laughs) yeah royal emirate has a proper business class and it's 737 oh there you go there you go i do hope you'll get us a a checkout flight on this new plane when it arrives (laughs) i want to see it more closely i would love to see it down at um frankfurt just to walk around it but we'll see definitely definitely well i think we've talked quite a lot today i hope everyone's enjoyed it but i think we've run out of time for today's podcast as usual please do send us your feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com for more great content you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media simply search for simple flying if you enjoyed the podcast please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player thanks for listening bye